Today we titled a sermon, What Do These Stones Mean to You? Earlier I saw Diana had uh, uh, one up with all the stones probably at Arlington Cemetery. That's one of the most popular ones that we know of, but it's Memorial Day weekend. And so for a lot of us, and I think as the younger generation grows up, Memorial Day weekend more means probably a three-day weekend or you don't have to work on Monday and all those sort of things. It's, it's okay, it's a, it's a time to celebrate. I mean, we actually could have a picnic today if you wanted to. You could go boating or those sort of things if you wanted to today. But Memorial Day, if we stop and ponder for a while, we come to realize it is a day set apart in this country to remember those that have passed before us, our loved ones, of course, but we really put an emphasis on the military and those that have died, uh, whether it was overseas, in wars, or even our, you know, as they get older in age, are passing away. And so Memorial Day, when we think about that, we come to realize and pay attention that we realize that the soldiers, you know, they took that step onto the battlefield, men and women, and many of them died. Now, again, the Bible says there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend, and uh, they didn't know me. They didn't know you but they believed in something. They believed in something important enough to die for it. And so that's what we celebrate in their lives and that's why we pay homage to them because it's an important thing to do. Now, we can't forget those that came back wounded. Uh, our church gives, uh, the Cowboy Church, we give monthly to the Wounded Warrior Project because many passed away, but there are many that come back wounded and they're struggling to survive, just to survive life. And then you, you send your husband or wife off and they're whole and they come back and now they're impaired and all of a sudden that whole family has to step alongside. So remember them also. Not that they've passed, but they, they're still here and they're still struggling and they're still at somewhat in a war. Now the word memorial, I, I looked it up, I always like to look up words, and it said something designed to preserve or to remind people of a memory of a person or an event. And it can be a historical statement. It doesn't always mean the person's dead. In other words, we, we give them a memorial. We remind people about what took place that special day or that special event. And so that's kind of where I'm going at with memorial today. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, Arlington Cemetery and whatnot. But I want to start out sharing a memorial that I have for Gene Holzer. I don't know. Anyone know Gene Holzer from Perm? Uh, a couple of them do. Gene Holzer was an interesting man. He loved John Deere tractors with a passion. He was just kind of an old country boy. He worked at the, the Ford service or the Ford uh, dealership down there in the service department for years and years. He was just a good old boy, and he uh, loved to fish, and he loved to hunt, and he loved to cook. He, and this guy loved food. I mean, if you gave him a can of peas, he just, like, he got tickled. He just, he loved food. And so when we ever got together fishing and those sort of things, he always wanted to make sure that we cooked some brats on a fire or wieners on the fire. He always had to have food along, and that was what, probably drew us together as friends. <laughs> I don't know. So anyways, we went to Canada fishing. I had never met Gene Holzer before, but Jim Limmer and he have been friends for years. And so they put us in boats, 12 of us go, and it's a Christian group. There's no drinking. We do devotions and whatnot. And so we took turns, three in a boat, four boats, three in a boat. And you shifted every day, so you got to get to know each other and, and talk. And so I was in Gene Holzer's boat the very first day in Canada for the first time in my life. Now, I fished here in Minnesota. <laughs> it's nothing compared to up there. Once you go up there, you're kind of spoiled. It's hard to come back here and struggle to catch a, a walleye every once in a while. You can, but up there, I mean, you're catching them 50, 60 a day. It's just crazy, and they're, and they're large. So we went to this one bay, and, and Gene's fishing, and we're all fishing, and I'm just excited to be here in God's country. It's pines and whatnot, and all of a sudden, he hooks into something huge. 
And I mean, he's, he's saying, you know what, Brian, this is big. And now I'm thinking, he's fished here many years. If he's saying this is something good, it's something good. And so he begins to fight it and fight it, and now I have to get the net, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose it, you know, and whatnot. But he brings it up. It's a 7-pound, 12-ounce walleye. Now, I almost pooped myself. Sorry, Lord, I said that in church. I almost did. He didn't. He was having a great time, but he was more excited about how I was excited because I couldn't believe this monster fish was coming up out of that water. I never saw one that big alive. Oh. And so we named that bay 712, 7 pound, 12 ounce. So always for me, it was 712. I remember that day. I still remember it like it was yesterday. But then one day in Perm, Gene was walking in his yard and his brother happened to drive by and wave and all of a sudden Gene wasn't there anymore. He went back and Gene had collapsed. Gene had some kind of a, a heart attack, a major heart attack or whatnot. He actually died. Uh, they revived him and they took him up to Fargo. But the problem was that he had been without oxygen too long. And so Gene wasn't Gene really anymore. And so they were hoping for the best. We were praying for the best. I went up and prayed many times, whatnot. And he had kind of lost the ability of, of just functioning. He, he had a horrible, his head would go back and it just was not very positive at all. And it was very hard for the family to see and for all of us because it just wasn't Gene. But I didn't know if Gene had been saved because he grew up Catholic and he hung around with us Christian guys on the fishing trip and he liked to hang with us more than those that drank. But he just never would quite hop that, that fence, we didn't think. We just didn't know that for a fact. And so I prayed mightily that I would go up and I would be able to be with him alone without his family and I'd be able to speak into his life and ask him to accept Jesus Christ or at least to try to make sure that he had before he crossed over because it was obvious that he was not going to survive. And so I went up there and the family wasn't there and I knew it was a God thing immediately because the family was always there, but they weren't. And so I went into his room and he was having these tremorous things he does and... <clears throat> And I was a therapist many years ago, and we did, we kind of shock therapy sometimes, so I got the coldest water rag I could, and I just tossed it on his face. And it woke him up, and he started to kind of alert, and so then I, I began to say, Gene, I'm here to talk with you, and, and I combed his hair, and I put his glasses on, and I shaved him, and he began to smile and look at me, and, and I said, Lord, just give him a chance to be able to, to receive this. And at that moment, he quit shaking, and he just sat there and looked at me, and I said, Gene... I know you're there and I know you can hear me and if you can hear me and you can accept the Lord Jesus as your personal savior right now, please do so. Let me know that you do so. And he looked at me and blinked a few times and smiled and I take that as he did. His family came in about a minute later. It was just a God thing. They came in and he went right back to all the tremulous stuff and whatnot and he passed away not much long later. Gene impacted me in his life, how he lived his life and how kind he was to me. And so I went home and I built this little frame and I got concrete and, and I poured that and I found a John Deere um, license plate and I stuck that in there. And, and so we went up fishing and I went to 712, Bay 712. We call, now call it Gene's Bay. And up on the ridge there, out of the water quite a ways, there was this kind of a flat spot. And so I, uh, I got this plaque and I went and I crawled up through the trees and whatnot and we set up there with a can of peas. <laughs> and his family was up fishing. They go up all the time and they brought their boats. So there was about four or five boats sitting there and we had a short little sermonette, a short little funeral, if you would. And, and if you go up there today, that, that plaque stills there. Raymond and them are going to go up... Uh, first of June and that plaque prayfully is still there it just reminds me it's a memorial to Gene and how he impacted me 
So Memorial Day can be for those that have passed on. It can be for those that have died, but it also can just be sharing the history of something, uh, uh, taking a time to memories, for the, for the memories, the reminders. So Arlington National Cemetery, Arlington National Cemetery is probably one of the most famous. How many of you have ever been there? Yes, it's probably one of the most famous. The VA actually maintains 136 national cemeteries more or less like that. There's one in the Black Hills, uh, Fort Snelling, 136 of them. Now in Arlington, we're gonna kind of talk about that. There's 400,000 people buried at Arlington. It was actually a 180 some acre farm that George Washington's son owned way back in the days. Um, and so across the, the world in 10 different countries, there's 130,000 Americans buried somewhat like that, same kind of stones. There's 124,000 missing in action they never did find out what took place or what happened to them. In Arlington National Cemetery, they have 27 to 30 funerals a day, six days a week. So there's the 3rd the Infantry, the old guard that actually carries out those. And if you are in the military and would uh, desire to be buried there, you qualify to be able to be buried at Arlington Cemetery. Um, again, there's 400,000. Now, around Memorial Day, they have what they call Flags in. It's a tradition called Flags in. And what the, they do is the the third army comes out and they each have a small little flag uh, and they put 400,000 flags roughly out in four hours time. What they do is they go up to the tombstone, they put their boot and then they poke that, that uh, cross right in right at the tip of their toe so that it's pretty much uniformed and they do that within four hours. And then before the cemetery opens on Tuesday morning, they already have them removed. It's been done, it's done by volunteers, it's done by those that are in the military. It's a tradition that's taken place to show honor to show honor to those that have given their lives. And I think we need to always remember that. Now, one of the biggest things there is called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. If you ever, ever, ever get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., you can see so many things. Take the time to go watch them at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier when they take care of guarding that, that tomb. It started in 1921. There are remains from World War I, World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War that were never identified those are there. The World War I was first, and they've added the others since then. It's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 years plus leap day since 1937. That's 82 years. A few years ago, they had that hurricane that came through that area, and they said, guys, you don't need to go out and guard the tomb. It's getting too dangerous. They refused. They said, we're going out to do it, and they did it. They do it in the rain, they do it in the snow, they do it when it's hot, they do it when it's cold. It's the 3rd Infantry Regiment, they're called the Old Guard. In the summertime, they take 30-minute shifts. In the wintertime, they go every hour. Um, and during the evenings, or when the cemeteries close, they, they do it every two hours. We're gonna watch a clip of the changing of the guard. Now, you're just gonna get a four and a half minute glimpse of what takes place. But these guys do this day in and day out, all the time, and they volunteer for this. They volunteer to do this and they take it very seriously because they want to pay homage to those that have passed. So we'll watch that clip.
half hour in the summertime if you ever get to go there it'll make you cry it's the best of our best paying homage to those that have gone before those that have died on the battlefield they make sure that they are the best that they can be and do the best they can for those that have passed to honor them Sometimes it rocks me in my heart because I say, you know what, Lord, why don't I do that for you? Why don't I do my best all the time for you? Why don't I always do my best for you who has done everything for me? If you get a chance to go there, do that. That is a memorial.
That's what matters. That's what speaks into people's lives. If you go there, I guarantee you'll feel so patriotic, whether it's just for that moment or for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what you agree with or disagree with. It matters that you go there to pay homage to those that have given us this freedom to be even able to protest the flag or to burn the flag. Those people died so that we can do that. That's a freedom that we need to not, not let go simply. We need to hang on to. There's a poem I read called The Dash, and I want to read this to you. I read this at funerals. We just had a funeral last Wednesday at uh, Cowboy Church. I just want to read you this because it speaks about the stones that we're talking about. It says, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was that dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth and now only those who loved them know what that little line is worth. It matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. To be less quick to anger, show appreciation more, and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? I share that with you because many of us are going to go to the cemeteries over the next couple days and change out flowers, put new flowers, take the old plastic flowers that faded from last year and put the new ones in to show respect, maybe say a prayer, maybe even have a conversation with someone that we've lost. But we realize that we're there because of that dash. See, uh, tombstones do it wrong. I, I'm asking Sandy, hopefully she'll do this if you put a stone on my grave is that you know they have the birth date and that's pretty large and then they have a small little dash and they have this passing date and guess what it's that dash that really matters to us isn't it because that birth moment is a second and that death moment is a second but it's that dash between those years that impacts us that's why we go pay homage that's why we honor those that's why we thank the lord for putting some of those people in our lives how they impacted us that stone that we go look at is a representation of all that they are with us so if you go look at your loved one's grave uh, over the next couple days, I want you to pay attention if you have that dash there and come to realize that it means so much more than that, doesn't it? It means so much more. I got to lighten and load a little bit here. There was a cemetery in England, and this was on the stone. Remember, man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you shall be. Remember this and follow me. To which someone scratched on the stone somewhere during the years, they said this, to follow you, I'll not consent until I know which way you went. <laughs> yeah, that's important, isn't it? That's important. So stones can mean something. It meant, means something in Arlington. It means something to us today in, the, in our loved ones' graves. But it meant something in, in the Bible, too. Stones had meaning in the Bible. And we're just going to talk of, about a few of the stones. I'm going to go to Joshua 4. And I'm going to start reading in verse 4. Now, what is happening is that God is sending Joshua and the Israel people across to the promised land, but they got across the Jordan River. And so what he tells them is that, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the priests need to take that to the middle of the river, then everyone's going to cross, and then when they've crossed, then you'll bring the Ark back out. And he says, when you begin to walk across the river, I will stop the Jordan, just like the Red Sea. I will stop and part the water so that you can come across. 
And so he carries that out, and that's what takes place. And so he says this starting in verse 4. Let me just go to Joshua verse four, uh, 4, verse 4. It says, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that they were waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. He says the kids will say, what do these stones mean to you? What do these stones mean to you? And so we come to realize that if we take and listen to that story, we realize that those stones meant that God honored his promise, that God provided for them, that God went above and beyond, not just to cross over to the promised land, but I'll go ahead and I'll part the sea here, I'll part the river so you can get across to the other side. And he said, make a memorial to remind yourselves of the things that I do. And so I ask each one of us, what do those stones mean to us? Now, he hasn't parted a river for me, but he's done so much more than that. The song, Do It Again, as Nicole shared, it's, it's all about how he provides for us all the time, doesn't he? And so we come to realize that that stone in their lives meant, meant great things because it represented who God was and what he was doing for them. But you know what? We can take that stone and remind ourselves that we also are receiving from him yet to this day. The second pile of stones is in Acts 7. We'll flip over to Acts 7, 54 to 60. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. This is Stephen. But he, that's a Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, which we know later is Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or you could say that he died. What do those stones mean to us? Somewhere over there in, in, in the Middle East, in Israel somewhere, there's a pile of stones where Stephen was stoned to death. I don't know about you, but I've been hit in the head with a lot of different things. <laughs> prove it. I prove it all the time just by who I am. Baseballs and softballs and a BB gun and different things. But I've been hit with a stone. Ever been hit with a rock in your head? I tell you what, it is the most solid, hard thump you can ever imagine. It is like, it's, it's, I, can't, I can't describe it and I don't want to relive it. But when it hits you, it hurts so bad, and you realize, you look down and see it was a rock, and you know how strong and how powerful they are. Here we have Stephen, martyred for God, speaking against those that were speaking against God, and they stoned him, not just once, to the point where he died. And while he's dying, he's saying, forgive them, Father. Forgive them, Father, until he falls asleep, until he dies. What do those stones mean to us? What do those stones mean to those people that might walk by those today? Prayfully, they mean something yet. Prayfully, we come to realize that God calls us sometimes to the very point that we would maybe die for him. 
Stephen didn't die. He didn't get hit with the first rock and run. He got hit with the first rock knowing that the rest were coming. And he stayed and continued to speak on their behalf. How many of us can speak on someone's behalf while they're hitting us with rocks? Usually we run. So those stones have some meaning. That pile of stones, wherever they are, has a strong meaning. The third pile of stones we're going to go to is John 8. And I'm not sure if I gave you that one, Diane. You don't have to worry about it. John 8 speaks about the woman caught in adultery. Pastor Tim spoke on that not so long ago. Remember, we all dropped our rocks. And he's talking about how they brought them, trying to trap Jesus. They brought this woman, and we all have to say right now that the man was involved in it also. He should have been brought there also, but it wasn't about what was really happening. It wasn't about that sin. It was about trying to catch God you know, through Christ in, into some kind of trickery that they could destroy him. And so when he says, you know what, those of you that are without sin, throw the first stone. And so somewhere over there, there are a pile of rocks here or there in the street where people drop their rocks. It said the oldest first and then the youngest as they walked away dropped the rocks. Maybe the oldest because they knew better. They come to realize that they lived their lives and how many times did they sin in an 80-year-old life versus someone that was 20 years old? Probably more. It just stands to reason. But they laid down the rocks. And so we come to realize that those stones can mean to us the idea in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, which I will read you. Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. That pile of stone over there tells me that I need to be not judging my brothers or sisters so harshly. I need to not be such a harsh judge. Somehow I feel that you know everyone has to come to me with, with their thoughts or ideas, and I will decide if they're good or if they're bad. I will not judge people for sinning because I sin myself. I know that God can judge them and God will take care of that. I can only share with them truth about what we should or shouldn't do, right? If I'll do that. If I'll heed the idea that people walked away and left their stones realizing that they should not judge and so I will not judge also because I remember what took place that day because there's a memorial of stones there to remind us of that. That I won't judge like I usually do. I'll start to back off on hammering on people like I usually do. I'll start to give people more grace and mercy like God gave me grace and mercy like I usually don't do. And so we struggle with that. So God uses that example and made sure that we knew there were stones there because again, we were throwing stones. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Remember saying that in the days? Stones hurt. Stones hurt. They came and they were already hurting this woman by bringing her into adultery but they were using her as a ploy to try to trap Jesus but you know what it wasn't about her but they had stones ready to kill somebody sometimes I think our tongues and sometimes I think we throw stones and we kill people we don't even realize it we kill them with hurt we kill them with shame we kill them with words that cut deep cut deep Mark 16 3 and 4 one of the greatest stones Mark 16, 3 and 4. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? 
But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. I don't know if they still have that stone, but that stone has meaning for every one of us. That stone, we realize that that tomb is empty. We look at the stones at Arlington and we realize there are people there, there are bodies there, but we come to realize that where the tomb was and where this stone was, there is no Jesus there. That he borrowed that for three days. He borrowed that for three days. There's a song called Resurrecting by Elevation. And here's what it says, one of the lines. The tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. For three days. So that's not a memorial stone in the sense of somebody dying. That's a stone reminding us of a monument about how Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he lives. He lives and wants to reign in our lives. So next time you see a large stone, maybe remind ourselves that Jesus Christ died on that cross but rose again, and that stone could not hold him in. Satan wanted that stone to be a monument. He wanted to be a death monument, a death memorial to Jesus Christ. But they rolled the stone away and the angel sat on top of it. I've shared that before, how back in the days when we watched wrestling, all-star wrestling, and Vern Gagne or someone would win, sometimes they would sit on their opponent just to show how victorious they were. They didn't have to hold them down, they just sat there because they had beat them so bad. So we come to realize the angel could just sit on that stone that he was victorious and rolled it away. So keep in mind, that's one of the greatest stones that we have in our lives to ponder and to think about. Here's something interesting. John Kerry, this is after the Vietnam War, which was a, a very difficult war for those that went, and when they came back was even more difficult. John Kerry wrote this. He famously asked in a 1971 congressional testimony uh, meeting on Vietnam, he said this, how do you ask a man to be the last man to die for a mistake? Boy, that rocks me. How do you ask a man to be the last man to die for a mistake? Yet Jesus died for us in our mistake. When Adam and Eve, you know, destroyed our plan in the garden with God, he died for our mistake. How do you ask a man to do that? Would we be willing to do that? Or do we understand the depth of that gift that we have? Matthew 26, 39, we find Jesus in the garden. It says, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, it is, if it is impossible, let this cup pass from me. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, big word, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here's Jesus needing to go to the cross, and he says, you know what, if you can take this cup from me, father, please do so. But then he stops himself and says, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. I read about some of the wars. They actually have statistics on who was the first to die in a war and who was the last as far as they know. Uh, in the Civil War, some people died a month after in Texas because they never heard the war was over. In World War I, one minute before armistice where they were gonna cease fire, uh, an American man was killed because he ran up towards the Germans a little too early. In World War II, uh, I think it was two gentlemen that died right at the end, within an hour of, of, or actually an hour after Germany had surrendered because the word wasn't out. So sometimes there's deaths that needless, don't need to be. But how many of us know and remind ourselves today in this Memorial Day weekend that Jesus Christ chose to die for us because he loved us enough to die for us? that he wanted us to be forgiven. He wanted our sins to be forgiven and said, you know what, I am going to die, but then I'm going to rise again in three days, and he did. 
And that's why there's an empty tomb. That's why there's not a stone that we go visit to say, here's the grave of Jesus, because Jesus isn't dead. And we don't need to be dead in our sin. He took care of the fall of the man, and we just need to accept that gift. Acts 4, 11 and 12 says this. This is Christ speaking. He says, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ becomes the cornerstone. Now, if you've ever done any building, some people will argue and say the cornerstone is the very last block to be put in place, but that's not true. The cornerstone is where every angle goes off of. That cornerstone is where you place it. You take so much care and effort to make sure it is right because the rest of the building goes off of that. Every direction, the measurements, all the angles go off of that cornerstone. Is Christ really our cornerstone? The decisions we make in a day, the decisions we make this week, how we live, what we do or don't do, what we allow ourselves to be part of or not allow ourselves to be part of, all needs to come off of that cornerstone. And here is the cornerstone. It's Jesus Christ. But do we take that and use that as we walk in our life? Or do we make ourselves our own foundation? Foundation of flesh. Do we build our house on the sand or do we build it on the rock? But here we come to find out that Christ is not just the rock. He's the cornerstone of everything that's built beyond then. But we have to include him into our lives. We have to say, you know what, Lord, I want you to be, I want you to be, set the parameters. I want you to set the angles. I want you to set the direction. I want you to be all that you can be in my life. But we have to allow him to be that, my friends. We have to allow him to be that. Will we do that? Will we do that? The most important stones these days in Christ's eyes are himself as the cornerstone and us. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. Let me read you this. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. Again, coming to him as, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says that we're living stones. Here we go, another set of stones, it's us. We are living stones. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? In other words, we are a temple. We are built of stones. Christ says, I'm the cornerstone, but you guys are living stones. You're part of my temple. You're part of my plan. Are we willing to be part of that plan? You know what's cool when you build something is usually it doesn't fight you. If you need a two by six and you want to put it in the wall, it usually doesn't get up and run away and say, no, thank you. It does what you want it to do. But when it comes to Christ, he desires that we would be part of who he is. He desires that we would be part of the building project that he has to build his kingdom. He desires that we'd be willing to be living stones, but that we would say, you know what? You place me where you want me to be and I will do all that you ask me to do for the kingdom. And so I pray that we don't have a memorial for our walk with God. That we don't have a memorial to say, here's where I used to worship God. Here's where I used to be active with him. Here's where I used to put him in my life. Here's where I used to let him make decisions. But that we're living memorials that we're living stones for him that he can use to build his kingdom. I mean, for him, the cornerstone to ask us to be part of that, I tell you, that's quite something. We're living stones, my friends. We are part of a building project if we'll allow him to use us in that. 
Remember, the definition of a memorial is something designed to preserve or remind people of a person or event. That's what we're supposed to be, living memorials. We're supposed to remind people of Jesus Christ. They're supposed to look at us and say, you know what? You are, you're like Christ. That's what we strive for. That if we're walking, living stones, living memorials for Christ, that they would look at us and be reminded about who Jesus is by our actions, by our choices, how we treat people, how we don't treat people, how we don't judge as we talked about earlier, how we receive and love, how we love our neighbor as ourself, how we may lay down our lives for our friends, how we might pick up his cross and follow him. We're to be Christ-like. Definition of a monument is a, a stone or stones shaped for a purpose the bible says to be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind let me build you into all i want you to be let me build you into what i've created you to be will we be that will we be a definition of a monument a definition of a memorial for him there was a gentleman that was working on a, a huge rock over in Italy and he was tapping away with his chisel many years ago and somebody came up and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm creating a statue. And he said, what are you trying to create? He said, I'm creating a lion. He said, you're gonna make a lion out of that rock? And he said, yes. He said, well, how do you do that? He said, I chip away everything that's not a lion. If we'll allow, Christ will chip away everything that's not Christ-like in us if we'll allow him to work, if we'll allow him to. Remember the story of the potter wheel? That's stone, liquid stone, I guess you would say. When you do pottery, you take this clump of clay and you set it on the wheel and you turn the wheel on and you begin to use water and shape it into whatever you feel you want to make. That clay doesn't jump off. That clay doesn't say no way. That clay doesn't get off the table and run and jump back into the container. It allows it, you to shape it into what you want it to be. How many of us won't get on the potter's wheel? Oh, we love the Lord. We're in, we're in the room with you, Lord. I see the potter's wheel. I see that you're working in other people's lives, but I just can't get on the potter's wheel because you might turn me into something I don't want to be or you might remove something that I don't want to have removed. But yet we're living stones. We're sculptures of his. He wants to chip away those things that aren't of him. Please let him do that. I know so many of you have been working on that and you've been allowing him to do those things in your life. So we talked about stones. We, we have stones there and we'll remember those people. And we saw how at Arlington they, they remember them in the greatest of ways, very honorable. We'll go out and we'll speak to our loved ones and we'll play fl place flowers on and thank the Lord for having them in our lives. But now we read about some stones in the Bible and what they meant in those positions and at those moments, but yet they mean the same in our lives, that we aren't to judge or that God will provide, he'll make a way. But then he calls us to be part of his foundation also. Let me guide you and direct you. Build everything off of me and you'll build it straight and square the way I want it to be. But again, we have to allow him to remove those things of us that aren't good building materials. The sand in our lives, the clay in our lives, the things that aren't solid. We want Christ to be solid in our lives and to use us mightily. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit, I pray that as this went out that you took my words away and you plugged into everyone's ears the exact way they needed to hear it.
Heavenly Father, that tomb is empty. That rock might sit somewhere, but you know what? The grave does not hold you. It's an empty tomb. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not have empty tombs in our heart, that Heavenly Father, that we would receive you and that we would strive to be all that you want us to be. Lord, you, you say that you're the cornerstone. Allow us, to, allow us to receive you as a cornerstone in our lives, that every turn, every angle, every decision, Lord, we would base off you. Does it fit into your blueprint, your plan for me? Heavenly Father, help us to go out and help other people to realize that you are solid. You are the rock that you have a plan for them just like you have a plan for us. Let us be willing to be used like those living stones to go out and help other people to begin to build the temple of you in their life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those that died uh, just to keep freedom. We thank you, Lord, for those that went before and just as if when crossing that Jordan, they couldn't have split that water until they put their foot in the water, they chose to take the next step and saw God work in their lives. Thank you for those that chose to take the next step on the battlefield, the next step in a plane, the next step in a ship. Lord, to keep the freedoms here in this country and around the world in so many places. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for this gift of freedom and thank you, Lord, that you were willing to die for our mistake. Heavenly Father, don't let it go in vain. Let us draw into that deeply and tight. We ask this all in your precious name and everybody says, amen. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic uh, Memorial Weekend. Uh, enjoy the day. I don't know what, is tomorrow going to be this way? Huh? So two days in a row? Three days in a row. Okay, go for it. God bless you guys.